Well, I am Daniel by one of the pastors here, and it's my joy to uh, just to be with you in this first Sunday after Easter. Do you know that uh, of all the religions in the world, Christianity is the only one that has a founder who was resurrected from the dead? You see, there are many beautiful things about our faith, but one of the most important things the key thing is that our founder, Jesus Christ, is still alive today. And there is no other religion on earth that has the same privilege. You see, if you look at Islam, they have their mosques, they have their temples, their holy books, the Quran, and the founder of Islam is in a grave. If you look at Hindu, they don't have only one founder, they have many writers of their holy books, but they still have their temples and worship and everything else. But all of their founders, all of their authors of those holy books are in a grave. And if you look at Buddhism, right? And especially uh, in, in Tibet and, and those countries in Asia, they know that Buddha is buried. Their founder is buried. There is no other religion like the Christian faith whose Savior is alive, resurrected from the dead. And if you think about our churches, are beautiful, right? We have the churches. We have the Christian teachings of the Bible. You know, the Ten Commandments, the Christian philosophy, and everything that is in the Bible. We have our saints and the apostles, the founders that with Christ Jesus, they wrote the New Testament and the Gospels. They wrote the, the, the Old Testament. You know, we look at all of this and we learn from them. We have the sacraments and we have the bread and the wine. But the truth is there is nothing on our, on our faith, in our Christian faith, nothing more important than the empty tomb of Jesus Christ. If we do not have a founder, a Christ, a Savior that is alive... We have nothing. In fact, in 1 Corinthians 15, Paul says, If Christ has not raised from the dead, then our faith is good for nothing. Our faith is futile. Then whatever hope we have is false. The resurrection of Christ Jesus from the dead is such an important part of our faith. And you think, well, two billion Christians in the world today, right? You know, maybe a little bit more. But what's interesting is today, about 250 million celebrate Easter. For them, because they follow, and these are the people that follow the Julian calendar, they celebrate Easter today. In fact, next year is even bigger distance. Next year, our Easter will be in March and their Easter will be in 1st of May. Can you believe? It's going to be a huge distance between them. But today, the Romanian people, as you know, I am from Romania, you know, they celebrate Easter. And the Protestants, kind of, most of them, they follow uh, the Eastern Church and their calendar in that. And they celebrate with them. But just think about this beautiful celebration at Easter, right? And I would like you just to know two stories about how Easter is celebrated in my land, right? First of all, the people before, before midnight on Sunday, kind of Saturday, maybe 11.45 at night, just before midnight on Sunday morning, 
They say we need to be like the ladies, like the, the, the mother uh, Mary and Mary Magdalene and all of those ladies that went to the tomb early in the morning. So they go early to the church. And as they gather in the church in silence, in darkness, there is a priest inside by the altar and he has a light. And he takes light from the altar, from the candle, and gives light to everybody else in the church. And all of them take light from, from the priest. And now they have a procession. And as they have all light, they leave the church and they go out because they want to go to the tomb, right? They want to go and celebrate the coming out of Christ Jesus from the tomb. And if they can, they, they circle and they go around the church several times. If it's in a city and it's hard, then they just do a little pilgrimage and they come back in the church after that. And once they come back in the church, they enter in the church with this light. And at the entrance of the church, the gates, the gates, the usually the big, huge doors of those, you know, historical churches are locked. And then the priest comes in front of the gates and he recites Psalm 24, which basically saying, Oh, ancient gates, open! Open gates, open Asian gates, and let the King of Glory enter in. And then the gates of the church are open, and they enter into the church. And as they enter into the church, they celebrate the coming of Christ, and they sing this song many, many times. Christ is risen from the dead, trampling de over death by death. Come awake, come awake. Come and rise up from the grave. And they sing this they sing this again and again and again, and they read from the, from the Psalms, from the Gospels. And it's a huge celebration because everybody is there. And they are so happy. And it all ends in a big feast, almost like a huge potluck. It is, for the Eastern Church, the biggest day of the year. There is no other bigger celebration than Easter for them because the Lord Jesus Christ was raised from the dead so they say come come Christ is risen from the dead trampling over death by death come away come awake come and rise up from the grave as a child I also celebrated maybe you remember the Easter eggs right this is something more familiar we have these Easter eggs that we make, and if you need to know how to do it, just talk to me at the end. I know how to put uh, those things on the eggs, you know. Uh, but uh, this time, this time, like even last Sunday when we celebrated Easter, it was so cold in Michigan and so late, the spring, that I, you know you couldn't find really good leaves, you know, like clover leaves. They were not out yet in so. But um, that's what we do. And the red on the eggs represents the blood of Jesus Christ who died on the cross. And usually on the Saturday before the Sunday Easter, we all gather around in the kitchen and we try to paint these, you know, color these eggs. And if you really want to go crazy, you can go and you paint them and you can empty them. And these are like decorative then, you know. But most of us don't go that far, you know. But there are those that go, you know, you push it too far and they want to make an art of it, you know. And uh, if you want to learn a Romanian word, it's, it's a happy Easter. Paste, fericit. Just say after me. Paste, fericit. Paste, fericit. So you now know a little bit of Romanian. <laughs> but I would like somebody to help me just uh, to, as I tell the story of these uh, Easter eggs. Would, would any volunteer, especially a child, you know, there's going to be a little prize, you know, so just there to come. 
I have here a basket of eggs, so don't worry. We'll just do, uh, show you what, uh, what you do. Any, any, any bold uh, child or yeah, young man? Steve, I see you looking so happy there. Come on in. Come on. Uh, so this is what we do, right? You want to come? Yeah. Uh, we, we all have these painted eggs, and we go to school, to home, you know, I mean, in homes, uh, especially Easter Sunday when we eat together, we have all of these baskets, right? Uh, so, Steve, uh, just pick, pick an egg. Wow, that's with glitter, you know, beautiful. So we will pick an egg, and uh, uh, I will say, uh, I will hold my egg during, this is during the meal, you know, and uh, it can be done on Monday or whenever you go to school. And I will hold this. You hold it with a, with a back down like this. So your, your egg is like that. So I will say, Christ is risen. And then you say, he is risen indeed. And you, you try to crack my egg, okay? With your egg. Just, just, yeah, yeah. Christ is risen. You say, he's risen indeed. Wow, so his egg kind of broke. Now you hold it the other way. So, and then you say, Christ is risen. Christ is risen. And I say, he is risen indeed. And I will crack them like this. Oh, now it's mine, you see? So both of them are cracked. So thank you, Steve. That was so nice, you know? You can, you can, have, you can have two lollipops, okay? <laughs> yeah. So we do that because a crack ad represents the door, the, 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 the stone that was rolled away, you know? The stone that was covering the grave was rolled away. And you say, Christ is risen. He came and he cracked and he came to us and saved us. And you say, he is risen indeed. So that's what we do, right? And for the next week, for example, the, the, the next week. By the way, uh, on Monday after Easter, those countries that celebrate today, they just, it's a holiday. So yeah, just so you know, maybe, so Ronnie, if I'm not at work tomorrow, I just follow the Julian, you know. <laughs> I think I like it, you know. Monday after Sunday, I mean, after Sunday Easter is really big deal. So they celebrate it. But the whole week, you go to school, you go to work, and you eat basically hard-boiled eggs because there are so many around, you know. And then you celebrate the same thing. Christ is risen. And they say, He is risen indeed. So that's what we celebrate in these countries. But you say, okay, so that's Easter, right? Big celebration. So uh, everybody is happy. Everybody celebrates. We did that last week here, you say. But what about today? A week after Easter, what? Is there anything, it almost like is the, the, the morning or the day after, you know, a, a big party, you know, what do we do? So he is risen, we say, but what difference does it make? What difference does it make in our lives? And just to give you uh, one idea, many, many uh, biblical faithful disciples of Christ, scholars, commentators, and pastors and leaders throughout the centuries, they ask the same thing, what difference does it make? And the answer is, Easter is every day. Easter is not only one Sunday a year, but we celebrate the resurrection of Jesus Christ every Sunday. In fact, like Pastor Ron said, next Sunday we have the Lord's Supper. Because we celebrate the death of Jesus Christ. But also remember the resurrection. There is no, there is no joy in any Lord's Supper without thinking that Jesus Christ is alive. Without knowing that his tomb is empty, that he is risen from the dead. So to help us answer, answer this question, what difference does it make? For the next three uh, Sundays, uh, we are going to use something that what we call the Heidelberg Catechism. And what are we? We are a confessional church. So why do we even talk about the Heidelberg Catechism? 
If you are a confessional church, what does it mean, you know? Compared to, let's say, a Bible church, you know, a confessional church, they say we have confessions that define what we believe, okay? We have the Bible as our foundation, but a confessional church has three other things, you know? We have three ecumenical creeds. These are summaries of our faith. In a nutshell, we have the Apostles' Creed, the Athanasian Creed, and the Nicene Creed. We also have what we call the three forms of unity, which are a little bit longer explanation or teachings, instructions of our faith. And we have the Belgic Confession, the Heidelberg Catechism, and the Canons of Dort. And these three sessions, we are going to look at the middle one, the Heidelberg Catechism. It was written in a city that is real, right, in Germany, in 16th century in Heidelberg. And it's a beautiful city in Germany, and it's located not far from France, but also not far from the Netherlands. You see just northwest is the Netherlands right there. And this Heidelberg Catechism was destined, sort of destined to be a teaching tool for the Christian church, especially for the youth. If you wanted to go to the youth and teach the youth, you will take the catechism and say, this is what we believe. Based on the Bible, Bible is still our highest final authority. But just so you understand what the Bible is saying to you, we use this catechism. And it goes with questions and answers. Question and answer. So for these coming three weeks, we are going to look at question and answer 45. It says, how does Christ's resurrection benefit us? Is there any benefit in Christ's resurrection for us? And then, of course, the answer is first, by his resurrection, he has overcome death. So that he might make us share in the righteousness that he obtained for us by his death. Now, that's a very succinct, but also hard kind of teaching. If you think about it, what is he saying? First, by his resurrection, he has overcome death. So that he might make us share in the righteousness he obtained for us by his death. That sounds very biblical. That's very succinct summary of the teaching of the Bible. But one of the verses, every statement, every answer to every question has some biblical references. They say this is where we look for in the Bible to answer that question. And for these questions, they looked in three places. They looked in Paul, and they looked in Peter. And one of the verses that they say it's very supportive of this statement is Romans 2, chapter, 24, chapter, verse 20, chapter 4, verse 25. It goes like this. Romans is Paul speaking, and he says, He, that is Christ Jesus, was delivered over to death for our sins and was raised to life for our justification. Now, if you want to read the whole context, it's bigger. It talks about Abraham and the fate of Abraham against all hope. Abraham, in hope, believed God and believed that God can raise even those who are dead. And because Abraham believed God, it was counted to him that faith that he had in God as righteousness. And then Paul says, we too can have that faith. We too can be trusting the Lord. And that faith that we have is going to be counted to us, just like it was counted to Abraham, as righteousness. Two things there in that verse, if you look at them. 
He was, that is, Christ was delivered over to death for our sins. And second, he was raised to life for our justification. If you want to, these are two parallel statements. If you look carefully, it's delivered and raised. You see, he was delivered to death and he was raised. So those are two verbs, delivered and raised. Then is death and life. He was delivered over to death, but was raised to life. So he's delivered, raised, death, life. And then it says, sins, for our sins, and then for our justification. All of these things, you see three things, are there in parallel. And all of these things are important. We cannot talk about all of them. But this is one of the benefits. If you say, what does it make a difference, the resurrection of Christ? Well, it makes a difference in the way we relate to God, in the way we see ourselves in this world, in the way we relate to each other, and in the way we even identify our own selves and we look at us. Christ changed all of that. He gave us a new, what we call, world and life view. Because things have changed. He was raised to life for our justification. And you might say, well, everybody knows that. Well, just uh, recently, in 2006, there was a study done. And the question of the study was here in the United States was, do you believe that after you die, your physical body will be resurrected someday? And about 53% said no. This is in the United States. 10% said they, have, they, had, they, were, they were no sure. Undecided. And 37% said yes, but among those were Jews and Muslims. You see, if you think about, okay, maybe Jesus resurrected from the dead, but how about me? Am I going to have a life in a body after this life on earth? Is there going to be a life for me again in eternity? In a body? They doubt that. They doubt that. So let's look at the statement. Why is it important to think that he was delivered over to death for our sins? Delivered is, is uh, the word delivered is like a FedEx, you know. Maybe you, you had these instances when they try to deliver a package, something for you at your home, and they just left something or your doorknob or just a paper, a green paper slip, and they said, we try to deliver, please call the office or come to this address, right, and pick it up. And you need to go to follow and go exactly where they tell you. And then you find the package there. The delivery is incomplete. Is incomplete, right? If they just leave you the, the notice. If you do an online check, now they have an online check, right? You, you, you get a, a number and you go and put it in and say, where is my package? And they cannot put their delivered until the person receives it. The FedEx delivery talks about something that Christ did for us. And it was God's plan to deliver Christ for our sins. He was delivered over to death. Delivered into the sinful hands. That's the gospel tells us. that. In fact, Jesus says about himself, the Son of Man is going to be delivered into the hands of sinful men. And it's not something that they do to overpower the Son of Man, he says. No, it was the decision of the Father, and I agreed to it as a son. I said, I'm going to go for them, and I'm going to be delivered into the hands of the sinful man, and they are going to be torturing him and crucifying him and putting him to death. 
And that's what Christ said. I am delivered over to sinful men. And he was delivered with a purpose. To save sinful men. Lifted up like the bronze snake. You know, just as the bronze snake. And Christ explained that. And the Bible is very clear. Just as in the time of Moses. He needed to raise a bronze snake. Remember when Moses was in the camp. And there were snakes, poisonous snakes everywhere. What Moses needed to do. said, make a bronze snake quickly. Before people die. And put it on a pole. Up high. So that people can look at a bronze snake. And they will be healed. From the poisonous snake's bites. From those poison. From the venom. And that's what they did. And, and Christ Jesus was delivered over to death for us, for our sins. And if you think of that, often we just think of that as separation. You know, when you go to a funeral, you think it's just separation of the spirit and the body. So we say, well, uh, the body is here. We have the funeral for the body. But we know that the person moved to be with the Lord. And there's one way to look at that. And that is true, that that is that separation, when we separate the soul from the body. But still, sin, which is for our sins, you see, who was delivered to that for our sins. Sin can kill us, even in a body that is living. Have you seen people that are dead, even while they were alive? In fact, Paul says, and the Bible says, all of us were dead in our sins. It doesn't mean that physically we were dead. No, we were alive. But because our sinful deeds, our sinful nature was having the day, we were not able to live for God. Have you seen a marriage that is dead? It looks alive, but is dead. Maybe you go to a job that is a career that is dead, but you still go tomorrow there. But you know, there's no hope in that. And maybe you see people that are in on a few weeks or a few months' notice, they say, you know, this cancer will kill you. So they are alive, but you know that they are, they are soon going to die. But Christ wants us not to be a living body with a dead soul. And this is what I think the Christians in the Middle East, they teach us. You know, they are persecuted for their faith, and some of them are martyred. And they say, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter if you send me to my Savior, I'm not going to die. I'm going to suffer in my body. I'm going to be a martyr for my faith. But my spirit you will never kill. You can do this to my body, but my spirit will live forever. And that's what Christ Jesus says. If you believe in me, even if you, if you die, you will live. And that's what he's basically saying. I am with you before you are separated from your body. And I'm, I'm with you at the end when you are separated and you move into my presence. I am with you all the time. Don't be afraid of those who can kill the body. But be afraid of God who can also kill the soul. So functionally people can be alive. Functionally they are alive but they are spiritually dead. They go to work. They go to school. They go to the market. They go and have fun. They stay at home. But they are spiritually dead. And the resurrection of Jesus Christ tells us that we all need that quickening of the Spirit. And people are looking sometimes in the wrong places for their fix, you know. They say, well, I am so athletic. And you can see somebody very athletic, right? 
in a very fit body, and yet a dead soul. A dead soul, there's nothing there. And people can say, well, if I just, if I just, if I just have this drink, right, this, this substance is going to just make me alive. It's going to just kick life in me. I need that kick. And it can be drugs. It can be intimacy. It can be any other, maybe, possessions. Like you say, if I, if I have that house or that car, you know, it's just going to just put me on the map, sort of. Make me alive. But the truth is that religion possessions, anything else, all of these false kicks, all of these false helps, props, are not going to make us alive. To make us alive, there is something that has to happen inside of us. You can pray five times a day, like any Muslim, faithful Muslim will do. You can meditate and do yoga. And you can do whatever worship you want, and sacrifices, and bring food. And, but there is nothing, no religion can change us from being dead in our soul, to being alive for Christ. No religion can give us life. That's why we need Jesus. Because he is the only founder of any religion on earth. There is a life came from the dead alive. To come from the dead, it means that he was dead, dead, dead. When he was killed on the cross, not only the soldiers who pierced him decided that. But, you know, I like what Nicodemus learned too. You know, it says Nicodemus brought a mixture of myrrh after he was dead, right? And uh, about 75 pounds. And taking Jesus' body, the two of them, wrapped it in, with, special, with the spices in strips of linen. This was in accordance with the Jewish burial customs. Now, what they did is there. Basically, they did what every Jew will do. They took the body, they will wash it, put it on the stone. Like Pastor Ron, maybe you remember a few weeks ago, he preached about. But they will wrap this linen very tight. A lot of wrapping, a lot of wrapping until it makes like a cocoon. And then they pour these this spices over, 75 pounds. Now, let me tell you, that's basically waterboarding to death. If you were not dead at this point, you were dead for sure. There's no life in that body. There's nothing that can come out. It's dead as a dead corpse can be. So Jesus needed to be dead because he needed to be raised from the dead to life. He was raised to life. And while, while people say, well, no, even, even some of the people in that time doubted. No, Pilate believed the centurion when he said, is he dead? Can I give the body to these guys? And the centurion, he is the Roman who knows if somebody is dead. Believe me, they were professional killers. They went to Jesus and the centurion said to Pilate, you can give the body. There's no life in it. We killed him. But the same soldiers come in the morning of the resurrection, and they bring news. And they say, he is alive. He is not there. There was an earthquake, and he came out. And immediately, just by their silence, and also by the lie that the priests they say, they give their money and say, you know, can you tell them that the disciples stole the body? So in a way, Pilate, by his own seal, the seal of his ring, when he makes sure that the soldiers are there, basically he says, he is alive. It's not just a legend. It's not their the disciples, they come and they knew that he was dead. So if he came out of the tomb, he came out of the dead. What if, what if Jesus will rose out from the tomb and instead of being put in the tomb, he will have come from someplace else where maybe the two thieves were thrown in, in the heap trash, you know, in the valley of the Gehenna, just right out, out of the Calvary. You know, can you imagine his body coming out of that trash heap? 
and maybe with some bites of, of the coyotes or whatever they were there. After three days, people would have said, oh no, he wasn't dead. Oh no, he wasn't raised from the dead. It's just like he was wounded. But no, because they went through all of these Jewish customs. And both the Romans and the Jews, they were convinced that he was dead. So when he came to life, he came to life out from the dead. He was raised to life from the dead for our justification. It is for our justification. And he died for our past sins and future sins to make us righteous. You know, somebody said, you know, you can, you can declare, like, just think of these big, big uh, uh, lawsuits and, 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 you know, court processes. And, and somebody is accused, you know, like, I don't know who, O.J. Simpson, whatever. You know, you are accused of one charge. Like even Al Capone, right, the big, the big mafia guy. They said, we cannot, we cannot charge him being guilty for what we know he did because we cannot prove it. So they said, on these charges, which are the biggest charges, we cannot prove. So you are declared not guilty. So he walks out. O.J. walks out. And then they catch him with other charges, little ones. And they say, for these ones, you are guilty. So if somebody is guilty and is declared not guilty, there is a danger that you are going to become guilty again, charged with other counts. But it says here, Jesus Christ, he died for our, he, he was raised to life for our justification. That is the righteousness that he gave. He is not only making us declared not guilty, is even better than that. He declares us righteous. He says, no, this person is not only not guilty of this charge, but this person because of his faith in me. Not because of what he is without me, but because he takes on what I offer to him. He is a righteous person. He cannot do those things that you accuse him of. He is not anymore desiring those things. Because like me, he came from death to life. He lives in a different reality. A double imputation, we can call it. As a legal action by our faith. Double imputation. What does it mean? It means that our sins, our sins because we are all guilty, all humanity is guilty, are imputed on Christ. We are all putting our sins on Christ. And on the cross, he takes all of our sins. And on that cross, all of our sins are nailed. And they are nailed there in Christ Jesus. And he says, I died for your sins. I am here for you. But then he says, my righteousness that I obtained there because I am not guilty. My righteousness now is imputed to you. He was raised to life for our right justification. In our, to give us righteousness, to make us righteous, to transform us from the inside out. That's what he did on the cross. That's why once you understand the resurrection and the power of the resurrection. In fact, Paul says in Philippians, he says, There's nothing more than I want than to know Christ and to know the power of his resurrection. And to have that power in my life, says Paul. It is a power that can free us from everything. From our fears, from our doubts, from our sins, anxieties. And it's a power that can raise us to be alive with Christ. And Paul says, but be careful. Once you understand that you are a person that I write, you cannot play with sin anymore. Sinning willingly and without any remorse after that. It means that you were never, just think about 
Once you came with Christ and you were a righteous person, you cannot delight in the old things. That's what Paul says. You cannot abuse God's grace. What shall we do, Paul says, if we have such a big Savior, such a huge grace given to us in Christ Jesus? Shall we go back in our sinful old nature and let our nature loose and sin? He says, no way. We cannot abuse that grace. So what about us, we say? Wow, it's so, it's so everybody knows the church is doing well. What do we do with the, the good news of Easter? Is there anything, is there a mission for us? Is there a calling? And if you think that in the United States there are 320 million people, some of the statistics say that 65 or over 200 million have no vital church connection. Now, vital church connection means coming to church, coming, being connected to church more than Christmas and Easter. What's interesting is that only 28% of the people that are young, between 23 and 37, attend church. Only 28%. 43 to 53 of people over 38, a little bit older generation, they attend the church, a bigger percentage. But just think about 200 million people living in the United States, and they do not have a vital church. Then the U.S. becomes the fourth largest population of unriched people in the world, after China, India, and Pakistan. 200 million people who do not have a vital church connection. And what's sad is that every week, they say 43,000 Americans are leaving the church for good. So is the church growing? Is the church knowing the power of the resurrection? Well, other religions are, right? If you look at Muslim, right? 15,000 are con converted to Islam every month. So there are other religions that are doing well, but about 50% of all U.S. churches did not add one person through conversion last year. And what's even more sad is about this news, the good news of Christ, is that 90% of the Christians will die without leading someone to Christ. Leading someone to the grave and saying, look at the tomb. He's alive. Come, come away, come away, come and rise up from the grave. That's the, the good news that the world needs to hear. So what difference does it make? Well, it changes us. But it also makes us heralds of this news. You know, we, need to, we, we have a burden. So let me just show you this. A little, uh, little video, a challenge for us, I think.
200 million people, they still wait for that FedEx pack package. And the package is not delivered until they sign and they say received. And that's my, my calling to all of us and the Easter calling to, to every disciple of Christ in this country and all over the world. Deliver the message. There is hope in Christ Jesus. He is alive. Will we step up to that challenge? Let us pray. Father, we give you thanks that uh, in Christ Jesus we still look forward to the future. The future of living as righteous persons, as being used by you to spread this news all over the world, but also in our families, in our neighborhoods, in our schools and businesses and jobs, in our offices, in our hospitals, and in our churches and uh, in our communities where you placed us. So give us the courage to not only allow your Holy Spirit to totally change us, to make us righteous people, but also to make us bold in our witness. In your name we pray. Amen. Would you please stand and receive God's greeting, as a blessing. As you leave this place, if you need somebody to pray with you, we have a prayer room here to my right, and somebody will be there uh, willing and uh, uh, supporting you in that need. And as we go from here, may you remember that the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of the Father, and the fellowship of the Spirit is with you as you go and love the world with his love. And tell the news. Amen. You may go in peace.